We've talked a lot about diabetic retinopathy on the podcast, but we haven't heard from someone with lived experience. Today, we change that. I'm Krista Lamb, and today on the Diabetes Canada podcast, I'm interviewing Ryan Huey, who is program lead for the Come to Work program at the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, or CNIB, as well as a person living with type 1 diabetes. He's going to share his experience as someone living with diabetes and sight loss. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited and I love chatting diabetes. I could talk all day. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting uh, my story and some of the work that CNIB is doing out there for everyone to hear. Wonderful. We definitely like to talk about diabetes here. So we're in the right spot. And so I think the first thing I'll ask you is to tell me a little bit about your diabetes journey. As I know, everyone has a different experience with the condition and a different journey. And so I'd love to know a little bit about yours. Not a problem. I really enjoy hearing other stories too, because diabetes is such a fickle disease. It affects everybody so differently that, you know, what, what affects me doesn't affect someone else, right? And vice versa. So I'm 35 years young. I've been diabetic since I was seven years old, type one. And I've been a pump user for about the last nine years. 10 years ago, I kind of lost my battle, I guess you would say, with diabetes retinopathy. So growing up, I knew I was always different, but it was a cool different. I was in organized hockey, organized baseball, but I always got to drink Gatorade, eat peanut butter sandwiches in the dugout. And kids were always looking at me saying, why does he get to eat? I want to eat. And we didn't really know because we were so young. It's because Ryan's low or it's because he has to do this or, or that sort of thing, right? So it was really interesting looking back at that now as an older in individual and just how much it's changed, right? Because like, I mean, if you're low, you're not going to be having a peanut butter sandwich now, right? They've said, hey, that's going to take too long. So that was really interesting looking back at that. But when my vision loss journey isn't very typical of most diabetic retinopathy, I guess, cases, I drove home one night about 10 years ago, and I was completely fine. I was bowling. You know, everything was great. I, I wore reading glasses. I played scholarship baseball. I did tons and tons of different really awesome things. I went to bed and woke up the next morning and couldn't see. And I thought it was just, oh, I got to turn on the lights or it's too dark in here. Let's try opening the windows. Uh, people were texting me and I wasn't answering them until someone finally called me. Then I said it out loud. I said, I, I can't see and I don't know why. And that's kind of how it led me to CNIB. That's after I, I went in and had some surgeries done. They found out that it was a retinal condition. My retinas had detached overnight. I did have some cataracts, but those have since been cleared up. And we, we just kept going on. And we thought that maybe some vision would come back. But it was looking forward as to, Ryan, you might have to, you've been pushed in the pool. You might have to live your life without vision or, you know, very little vision for the rest of your life. So that's kind of how it come to be. And then uh, naturally, I wanted to, not that I had bad control, but I wanted to, I've heard so many great things about the pump. I said, Let, let's get the pump. I, I need the pump. I want the pump. Let's, let's do it. And it's really, really got my A1Cs into some really excellent control. It must have been really scary to lose your sight so suddenly. Was there anything in particular that you went through at that part of your journey that you would like to, to talk about to other people who might experience something similar? Of course, you know, I really do have a lot of good days for like, let's say 360 days out of the year, I'm really good. But those other five days, it's, oh, 
I can't see. And you sort of get that feeling bad for yourself, right? But I, I don't know that it, even though it's so long ago that it's really hit me yet. I think it's a lifelong learning and I'm always going to continually be learning. Like I just got my first guide dog um, a year ago in November. So I'm still learning to how to be with him and, and I'm learning how to be a new parent. I have a two-year-old daughter. I'm, there's just a lot that I think I've been able to preoccupy my mind with rather than the, okay, this is what happened to me and how do I feel about it? I think I'm still pretty young and I, I got a lot to give. And that's sort of what I, I look at with my, in terms of my job, in terms of um, my daughter and, and my family life. I really think that that's sort of the message I would look out because everybody sort of has their journey and their adjustment to vision loss a little differently. And I'm sure I'm going to get there. I just might not have had that bad week or six months or, or anything. Um, I've always loved being the underdog. And, you know, people tell me, Ryan, you can't sweep the floor. You can't see. Well, I'm really going to sweep that floor and make it spotless. So I, I've, I've kind of always taken that approach in my life with or without my vision. Yeah. And I'm really interested based on that in the work that you do with CNIB. Do you get the chance to talk to others who have gone through similar stories and similar situations? And if so, do you have advice for them or things that you suggest to them? Absolutely. So every day uh, in the Come to Work program, we assist those uh, to get employment ready. We do the employment preparedness and say, hey, these are the things that you might have to uniquely face because you are a job seeker and you are someone who has a vision impairment. So it's not as easy as here's my resume, go to the interview, you're hired, start Monday. There's a lot of other things you have to think about in there. And we always get the story because blindness is a spectrum. Even if you have the same eye condition as me, we might see completely differently and it affects people completely differently. So it's really difficult to kind of say like, hey, this is what I've done. And you know what, we can always give best practices, but it really is totally unique to you. And the advice that I can give is hang in there. Hopefully you like to learn and better days are ahead, especially with the advancements in technology. It's really great to kind of see what being blind is like now compared to like, let's say 1991. There's so many different advancements out there that really allow us to, and by us, I mean the blindness community, to really lead a normal and a, a great life. That sort of leads me into my next question, because I know that it's been somewhat similar for the diabetes community in terms of technologies really providing help in managing a condition that can be really complicated and confusing. And I would love to talk to you a little bit more because you have that added layer with sight loss on how you manage your diabetes and the things that have helped you. Of course, uh, there's, you know what, I have to really give a shout out to my diabetes educators down here in Windsor, Ontario. They've spent countless hours explaining things to me and I've sort of been the guinea pig for lack of a better term, because they haven't had someone that wanted to be on a pump that for all intents and purposes, I'm completely blind. I can see the TV on or lights on the ceiling on or, hey, there's a window, but that's about it. I just see sort of blobs after that kind of thing. So I don't have a chance of, of reading any font or doing anything like that. So I do use a pump. Um, and I also use the, the Libre um, sensor on the back of my arm, but that's kind of a newer thing. Beforehand, it was, hey, you, you got to poke your finger and the, the machine talks to you. But if I miss it or if I'm in a loud place and don't hear it, I have to test again. So you're using, you know, four and five test strips. How do I find the blood on my finger? That was 
really difficult. Um, I knew it was there, but I just couldn't find it to tap it onto the, the testing strips. So technology has come such a long way, um, but I think we do have a long way to go with making it a little bit more affordable and accessible for everybody out there. Because with my pump, we've done a lot of extensive like testing and rooting around just with my diabetes educators and my endocrinologist. And we've found that I can use only about 11, maybe 12% of what the pump can actually do. So basically it's a fancy insulin pen for me at this point. It's just, I'm not using it to the, the full potential, right? So think of that in terms of, oh, here, here's your new cell phone. But by the way, you can only do 12% of what it does. No surfing the internet, no doing that, no, no sending text messages, no putting pictures on it. You can just make phone calls and that's it. That's pretty much what my experience with a pump is like at this point. Are there things that manufacturers will hopefully be able to do moving forward that might be helpful? There's a lot that manufacturers and everybody can do, but I think it all just starts with actively listening and, you know, getting engaged in that co-design process with integrating people that do have a disability, whether it's a vision impairment or um, another disability, be active in getting involved with the production and integrating their experience into how they can design the pump. For instance, I can't even tell you how much battery life is, is in my pump right now because it's all visual on the screen. And I think, uh, you know, we could really incorporate the universal design as well, you know, like making it completely accessible out of the box. Like I don't work for Apple, but take an iPhone, for example, I can take it out of the box and no one even knows that I can use it, but I turn on an accessibility feature and it's completely accessible to me. So I can just go right from the box. Whereas with a pump, I need to have someone around to kind of set it up for me and do this. Like I can't even change the time. Daylight savings time is coming up and my pump is going to have the wrong time on it. And that's just something simple. That doesn't even have to do with the administration of insulin or the safety of me going low, high or testing my blood sugar. It's just sort of a simple, oh, it's four o'clock. No, actually it's three o'clock kind of thing. So I really think incorporating that into their sort of thinking would be amazing. And at the CNIB, we have tons and tons of people who are willing to provide their input. And we have diabetics from coast to coast, some that even don't even use a pump because they're scared of it being that inaccessible that they stick to the old, you know, syringe and insulin or insulin pen and, and that sort of thing to cartridge to, to do their, their diabetes, right? And we can even take it further because we've noticed that even the documents and the websites and things aren't really that accessible for anybody really like with the vision impairment, right? So you hand me this manual and it's all paper and pictures and print. I can't see any of that. So I can't even refer to the manual to know how to do this or to change the battery or, th or that, right? So my experience with the pump is I change my infusion site every three days approximately. And I have to either have someone on FaceTime with me or someone around me with sight to ensure that they can read the screen. So it's, it's kind of put your life on pause, uh, friend or family, so you can come and help Ryan keep his pump up to date kind of thing. Yeah, that would be so challenging. And something you said earlier that, that sort of strikes me is that there's a lot of people who, because of the fear of using the pump and not having the ability to have an accessible technology, makes them afraid to try that. Can you tell me a little bit about what it's like to manage your diabetes with sight loss when you're not using a technology? How is that different? 
It's very hard to manage diabetes with or without vision. But when you get into the technology realm, uh, technology is really expensive, right? Even uh, not even taking into account an insulin pump. So a lot of people are doing it the old way. And there's accessibility features that are hacks, I guess you should say, that you can use in your kind of life, right? That people just wouldn't think about, but they're accessible. So for instance, um, if you're using an insulin pen, it clicks every time you want to, okay, drop three units of insulin. So it clicks three times. So like, that's almost kind of what universal design is because everybody uses that. You just don't know that it's kind of an accessibility feature. You just, oh, that's the way it is. That's how, you know, it, it works from the start. You're just used to it. Right. And I don't know very many people that don't use some sort of technology because even glucometers, there's only one, I believe, maybe two on the market in Canada that talk to you. So there's not really much of a choice. And for those, I mean, blindness is a spectrum. So depending on how big the numbers are, or how, what colors they are, if it's white numbers on black background or black numbers on white background, it might help someone out, right? So that's sort of the the co-design process that we've been talking about is let's get the people involved that are actually using it and let's see what their experience is and see if we can kind of integrate that into making a one-stop shop kind of thing. Like let's make it accessible for all. Let's, you know, because even let's take into account if I'm using my pump and let's say I have my full vision, if I'm using the pump and I'm outside in the sun, maybe the glare, I can't see the screen. So if there's an audio option, hey, I can turn that on and use the audio option. But for someone like Ryan, there's no audio option. So I can't even hear what's on the screen. So it's 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 really interesting when, when you talk about technology, because technology benefits the blind community so, so much, but it also kind of hinders us because not everything is made completely accessible. But as long as the conversation is happening, I think that's a step in the right direction to getting where we need to be. Yeah, and I, I think that brings me to my next question, which is about what healthcare providers can be doing to better help those people that are dealing with sight loss or blindness in terms of making sure that they have access to things. Because I've heard before from different communities that sometimes they're not even offered a technology because the assumption is just that they won't be able to afford it or they won't be able to use it rather than having a discussion with them about what might be best for their needs. And so I wonder if you have any advice for healthcare providers who are working with those with vision or sight loss and how they can do a better job with that. Of course, be patient, I think, because it's just as difficult for them on the other side of the table as it is for us, because we want to explain ourselves to you and to let you know like, hey, this is what's working, this is what's not. We usually will come with our solutions, but it's just a really difficult process. And I have to, again, give a shout out to my diabetes educators, because we did a lot of side work to kind of figure out what would work and what didn't. And I really just think being patient and listening is the key to kind of getting this process going. I'm hoping that through the research we're doing with CNIB, we can help all those, not just those affected with vision loss, but you know, in the diabetic community, find some way to use an accessible pump, like even for the elderly that might not see as well, but still can see the font might be too small, that sort of thing. But for diabetes educators, you know what, they do such an amazing job and we'd be lost without them. But I know this is probably hard to do, but I know they have a lot of knowledge on all the products, but knowing maybe what some of the background features are integrated into them, right? Like, so for instance, when I got the Libre, the tester itself that it comes with is not accessible, but we knew that the app was accessible already because we had tried it out. So just looking at things like that and saying, oh, well, 
you know, diabetic retinopathy affects a ton of people in Canada, this might not be an issue for you now, but it might be an issue for you in the future. So let's look at, you know, kind of start backwards and work towards the goal kind of thing. Yeah, that's great advice, I think, for everybody. Diabetes is very, very complicated. There are so many layers and complications. So I think that that is excellent advice for every single healthcare provider. So you had mentioned that you've been working on some research and research is a pretty big focus of this podcast. And so I would love to hear a little bit more about that project and what you're hoping to learn. Of course. So the CNIB and Diabetes Canada, along with many other organizations, about a year ago, maybe a little bit over a year ago, we got some, it just came out on a whim because it's been Ryan complaining that, hey, his pump isn't accessible, but then other people started sort of voicing their opinions and said, hey, I'm a pump user too. I've been diabetic for a lifetime and I can't use my pump. So we wanted to see how many people this is affecting. And it turns out that there's quite a bit and that there's actually no accessible pump on the market, not one that is offered almost anywhere. We did do some quick research, but unless someone listening knows of one that might be offered in the UK or somewhere else, I would love to hear about it. But even the one that was offered in the United States has since been taken off the market years ago, just due to updates and things. So what we wanted to find out was many, many different things and how that we could get in kind of into the co-design and the universal design process and see how we could get involved by gently pushing these manufacturers into designing something that might be usable by everybody, but focuses maybe a little bit more on the blind community. I shouldn't say focuses, but you know, there's that added accessibility in the background. And it turns out that, you know what, everybody wanted the same thing on the call and it was mostly an app. Let's get some sort of technological app that can, you know, administer insulin from your smartphone. You can view your sugar, you can do all kinds of different things from this app, you know, and and that would actually wouldn't require you to build a whole new pump, just maybe add some things, right? And I understand there's a whole bunch of different background things involved with that, but that's kind of what we found. And the other things that we found is there's a a lot of non-involvement or non-inclusiveness when it comes to the design, even the study groups, right? It's you have a, a ton of people, but not the disability community is kind of excluded. And I'm not just saying the blindness community, I'm saying the disability group at large. So let's get those people involved in and telling them what the needs are accessibility-wise, affordability-wise, that sort of thing. So we can kind of, like I said, start backwards and work our way up to, okay, it's going to be an app or it's going to be a whole new pump or there's going to be voice or there's going to be even some large print involved or let's be able to switch the contrast and make it, you know, white letters on black background or, or something to that nature, right? So there's not just one solution and that's what we're finding that there's a lot of different needs out there and we really need to look at them and say, how can we incorporate all of these into making it accessible for everybody despite vision loss or despite disability? Let's make this an option for everybody because I bet there's some out there that are fully sighted that would love an app on their phone to be able to, because it's in your hands anyways, you don't have to pull your pump out of your pocket, right? To even use it. Yeah. And I think that what you mentioned there is really important because as we've had more people with lived experience involved in the research process, we don't necessarily have people with a diverse range of experiences on each of the projects. So everyone is looking at it from their specific experience. So this is a really interesting research project and I think a really necessary one. 
And do you have any sense of what might be next in terms of research or are you going to move this forward into different things or how are you planning to use it? So we're kind of still in the middle of the information gathering and I don't know for sure where we're going, although that we're making great steps. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? I know that it takes a lot to sort of get change or evoke change in in something like this. And we're hoping to just, like I said uh, to the diabetes educators, we're hoping just to get the pump companies to listen. Let's start a conversation. Let's see where we can go from there. And once we go from there, we're going to try and get more of the disability community involved in the testing or the integrated life experience, the lived experience, the co-design, that sort of thing. So I'm really excited about it. And I hope that we can continue to move forward, even if it's just a little bit each day at a time. It's really, it sounds like such wonderful work. And so my last question for you today sort of relates to this a little bit in terms of I think that there are often a lot of misconceptions about what it's like to live with diabetes and sight loss, and you've done a lot today to sort of explain some of those. And I wondered if there's anything else that you would want people to know about this that would help them better understand or just help in general with overall understanding. That's a really good question. Do you know what? I think the big thing would be just treat someone with vision loss or with diabetes and vision loss as a, a sighted person, if you have questions, just ask them. We're people too, and we just want to talk. You know, even if you, you ask a question about my vision loss or my impairment, I'm more than happy to educate because there are so many myths and there's so many different places in this world that we can be getting information. Who knows what you've heard, right? And who knows if that's correct or if it is, you know, if it affects just one person or everybody. And everybody's story is different. So please keep that in mind. And yeah, just talk to us, really. That's all we ask. And I think that would make a a great kind of change in learning amongst our community. I think that is wonderful advice. And I thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I loved every second of it. Thank you so much for having me and good luck the rest of the way with the podcast. And if there's anything I can do to help, please feel free to reach back out. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who's listening today. If you have questions or comments about this podcast or this topic, please share them with us at Diabetes Canada. You can find us online at diabetes.ca, or you can find us on all the social media at Diabetes Canada. And if you enjoyed today's show, please hit subscribe or rate and review it. We'd love that feedback from you. So thanks so much for listening. Thanks.